Well, welcome to Hope City Church to our 1130 service. We're so glad that you're here today. Uh, What an amazing story by Brad. And I would just echo that to anybody in the room who is a guest with us today. Maybe you find yourself where Brad said he was, like, I'm coming. I ain't ready for all this, but like, I'll come. Uh, Maybe that's where you are. We think that's amazing. And and we, we believe Jesus meets us right where we are. And so we're glad that you're here today. Um, another amazing day with our Shepherdsville location. Started last week, two, one church in two locations. So uh, just an amazing day today. And we're glad that you're a part of it. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Hope City Church. And last week, we started a four-part series called Playlist, where we are taking four weeks to read through some of the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. And uh, and we're, we're, we're picking four of them and, and reading through that. And we said last week that there are 150 psalms, but out of the 150, there are three kinds of psalms. I just want to give you those again in case you weren't able to be here. But there are three styles or kinds of psalms. The, the first kind is what we would call psalms of hymns. And these are psalms that are about God, just generally about God, God's goodness and Uh, descriptions of God. The second kind of psalms uh, would be what we would call psalms of lament. And we said last week, these are the Taylor Swift psalms, all right? These are the angry, breakup, uh, you know, heartbreak type of psalms. Today, we're actually going to be reading a psalm of lament. And then the third type of psalm is what we would call psalms of thanksgiving. And these are psalms that are specifically about a time or an incident or a moment when God did something specific, and the person who was writing the psalm uh, was very grateful for that. And so they were, they were thanking God for, for what he had done. And so there are three uh, styles or types of psalms, and the reason that's important is because we said last week that gives us permission to talk to God and to worship God, no matter what emotional state we're in. No matter how we're feeling, he's not bothered or threatened by our emotional roller coaster because it is emotional uh, following Jesus. And so we come to him, whether we're happy, sad, joyful, confused, doubting, full of faith, we come to God. And that's why the book of Psalms resonates with us and has for thousands of years always been one of the most popular books of the Bible because we read it and we relate to it. And, uh, and so we started that last week with Psalm 139. And today, we are going to be in Psalm 51, Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is uh, what we call, or what historically has been referenced as, a a, a psalm of repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance. We're going to be talking about that word a lot today, repentance, repent, uh, because this is known as a psalm of repentance. Just a little personal story for you. Um, one of the reasons I love Psalm 51 so much is because this was actually um, the way, one of the ways, I guess you could say, that I came to put my faith in Jesus Christ. It's a crazy story. I don't have time to give you all the details, but when I was 15 years old, um, I was at a friend's house, and my life was just headed in a direction that uh, it shouldn't have been, and, and I was raised in church. I was a church kid, fourth-generation preacher's kid, but I was not following Jesus, and this is going to sound crazy to you, but it is what it is. I went to the bathroom. I was standing there using the bathroom, not to be too graphic for you. And on, on top of the toilet was a Bible that was open, one of those small Bibles. And the Bible was open, and the page it was open to was Psalm 51. 
And as crazy as this sounds, I was using the restroom while reading Psalm 51. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart so much. Like, and I'm like, and, and I'm having a conversation with myself in this bathroom, like, Jason, what are you doing with your life? And uh, I got done using the bathroom. I flushed the commode. I lowered the lid. I got down on my knees right there in that bathroom, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I went to, I went to church that night to go to an altar and do it because I was not sure that it counted in a bathroom. I didn't know if you could actually get saved in a bathroom. And so I just doubled down on that at the altar that night at a church service. But I'm pretty sure now that it does count in a bathroom. And, uh, and so these words are very personal for me as I read through them. I'm, I just, it, it takes me back to that. And, um, and so it is a psalm of repentance. Same thing that happened to me in that bathroom. It is a psalm of repentance. And another thing that makes Psalm 51 so special and so unique is that we know exactly when it was written. We don't know that about the other Psalms. They are general in nature uh, or time. You know, we kind of can guess based on history and things like that, but not Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, we know exactly what was going on, exactly what was happening. And I don't know if you have a Bible. I know most of us use our phones now, and I I do that too. Uh, But if you have a Bible and you flip over to Psalm 51, at the top of the Psalm, and it may be on your phone if you use the Bible app. I actually didn't check. But in the top of the Psalm, this is not a Bible verse. It's just a heading. It's just a description. But it actually tells us what was happening when this Psalm was written. I just want to read this to you. Uh, It says... For the choir director, and we don't have a choir at Hope City, but it says, for the choir director, a psalm of David, so we know who wrote it, David, David and Goliath, David, King David, that guy, regarding the time Nathan, the prophet, came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So we know exactly what was happening when he wrote this. And if you don't know the story, it's in 2 Samuel 11. But David, who was the king, was up on his roof one night. He sees a beautiful woman taking a shower. He wants to be with her, so he invites her over. He sleeps with her. He sends her back home, one night stand. You know, everybody moves on with their life until a couple of weeks later, Bathsheba sends word, we're going to have a baby. And so she's pregnant. And so David panics, tries to figure out how to cover this up. And so he sends for Bathsheba's husband. His name was Uriah. He was a soldier. He came home. David says, hey, man, just take, you know, take a break. Go home. Be with your wife. That way they could say the baby was Uriah's. But, but Uriah was a man of character and integrity. He would not go home and, and while his friends were on the battlefield. And so he said, David, no, I won't do it. And so David has to come up with another plan to try to cover up this scandal And so he sends him back out to the battlefield and gives a message to the leader to put him on the very front line of the war so that he would be killed. See, y'all thought the Bible was boring. I mean, this is like an episode of some amazing show, right? So sure enough, Uriah goes out to battle. He is killed. When David finds out that he's killed, he steps in and marries Bathsheba to make it look as if the child was through marriage. And uh, they go on with their life. It is, uh, he gets away with it. Until a couple of months later, uh, Nathan, who was a prophet of God, showed up. Now, prophet in the Bible means that they were God's spokesperson. They spoke on behalf of God, that God literally in the Old Testament would give them a message to speak, and then they would go and they would deliver that message. And so Nathan shows up to David and confronts David uh, about his sin, tells him a a fictional parable 
about a man who did something awful, and David is outraged at what this fictional man did, and Nathan says, I'm talking about you, bro. And so David recognizes the severity of his sin and says to Nathan, you're right, I have sinned. And Nathan leaves, and David, at some point after that moment, goes and gets a pen and a piece of paper, and he writes down the words that we're going to read today. So understand what's going on in David, what he's feeling, and we're going to see. Now, we know because of knowing the story and having the rest of the Bible and the context and the history, we know that David was repentant when he wrote these words. He meant them. He was genuinely sorry for his sins and wanted forgiveness of God, the forgiveness of God. So we know that. We don't have to question his motives. We know that. And so we're going to read through Psalm 51 today to learn what it looks like and what it sounds like to repent. How do you repent? We talk a lot about forgiveness, and that's important because we need forgiveness to have a relationship with God. We need forgiveness to have eternal life. We need forgiveness in order to have peace in our life. And so we need forgiveness, but forgiveness is only something that you can receive. Like, I mean, you can give it if someone has hurt you, but when it comes to God, we can only receive forgiveness from God. So we really don't play a part in the receiving of the forgiveness, but repentance is something that we can give. So God gives forgiveness, but he gives forgiveness after we give repentance. Does that make sense to everybody? So it's important to talk about forgiveness, but you cannot have forgiveness without repentance. So it's pretty important that we know what repentance is. Now, if you are a parent, and I mean, it doesn't, you don't even have to be a parent, but parents especially know what this is like. We've all done it to a certain extent, but especially our kids do it when they learn the need to apologize, but they don't really mean it, right? This happened to me Friday. I was watching the kids and my three-year-old Solomon was supposed to be taking a nap And he had already gotten in trouble and actually got a a spanking for for being disobedient and getting up. And so then a couple of minutes later, I hear noise again upstairs. And so I'm like, okay. And so I turn the corner. And when I turn the corner, Solomon, my three-year-old, is sitting on the steps in a full ski bib (laughs) with rain boots on. I didn't even know he had ski bibs in the house. I don't know where he got them. I don't know what's going through his head. And he knew I was coming. He's just staring at me. And uh, I said, Solomon, what are you doing up, buddy? You already got a spanking. Why are you doing this? And he said, Dad, but I'm sorry. I said, Solly, you're not sorry, buddy. You, you, you keep doing this. And, 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 and so, I mean, it's, you know, it, you can't just say I'm sorry. He, this is exactly what he said. I'm not making this up. He said, but Dad, but Dad, listen, Dad, listen. Just know. Anytime I'm in trouble, I'm really sorry. That's exactly what he said. I'm not making this up. So you know how it is that a parent, I'm trying not to laugh, but really stay strong. Like, well, that's, you know, but I'm trying not to laugh. I think all of us can relate to that a little bit. Like, God, just know ahead of time, anytime I'm in trouble, I am really sorry. Well, that's not repentance. That's not repentance, but Psalm 51 is going to show us what repentance is. Now, before we jump into that, 2 Corinthians 7 in the New Testament, verse 10, gives us a look at what repentance is and what repentance isn't. And I want to just read that to you before we jump in, because I think 
It's really important that we know what repentance is. Repentance is not just stopping what you're doing. Repentance is not just feeling bad about what you do. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry. Repentance literally means to turn from your sin, not because you have to, but because you want to. That you, your mind has changed, your opinion of sin has changed. It is wrong. The Bible would say it is evil, which is not a word we use a lot, but the Bible would say it's evil. God hates it. And so we feel about it the way God feels about it. That's what repentance is. And 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It's not on your sermon guide, but I just want to read it to you. It says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, everybody say repentance, results in spiritual death. So according to this verse, there are two kinds of sorrows. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. So that when we are in sin and our sin hits a dead end, whether we face consequences or we hit our bottom or we realize that we hurt somebody or whatever it is, that feeling that we feel is either one of two things. It's either godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. How do I know the difference? Well, 2 Corinthians 7 says that godly sorrow leads us to salvation. We don't just feel bad about it. We want to make it right. Worldly sorrow, the Bible says, lacks repentance. We just feel bad about it because we are told we're supposed to feel bad about it. We feel bad about it because um, we're in trouble or, or whatever it is. Now, all of this is happening at a subconscious level. You're not sitting down with a piece of paper and, you know, why do I feel bad? Five reasons I feel bad. We're not doing that. All of us in the room, when we feel sorrow, we all swear in the moment it's godly sorrow. No, no, I really do feel awful about it. I'm never going to do it again. God, I'm so sorry. That's how we feel in the moment. But what we do after we have that sorrow lets us know what kind of sorrow it is. Does that make sense to everybody? So what 2 Corinthians 7.10 tells us. So what we're going to see from David in Psalm 51 is godly sorrow and how to repent and, and, and learn what that sounds like, what that looks like. So hopefully that we can have a, what the Bible would call a repentant heart so that we can learn how to, uh, how to repent. Okay, so let's jump in. Verse one, Psalm 51, verse one, here we go. First four verses. All right. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Sin always stains, by the way. Always. Can't get it out, right? Without Jesus. Purify me from my sin. Verse three, for I recognize, if you happen to have a way to mark that, that'd be a great thing to underline right there, those three words. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. Hopefully you got a a sermon guide when you came in. Uh, If you do, grab that because I think Psalm 51 gives us four steps to repenting. What, what, how do I repent? How, how do I have a repentant heart? How, how do I know if I have it? I want to receive forgiveness from God, but, I, but that requires repentance. How do I do that? Well, the first thing that we see in verses one through four is if I want to repent, then I have to stop making excuses. I have to stop making excuses. This is what we see from David. David opens up this psalm by saying, have mercy. In other words, think court of law. 
he is pleading guilty. No, no, he's, he's saying he's guilty. No plea deal, no excuses, no cutting corners. Judge, I am 100% guilty, and the only thing I can appeal to is your mercy. I need mercy. That's what David is saying. He, he didn't say to God, God, listen, if you wouldn't have made Bathsheba so beautiful, he's not saying, God, if you wouldn't have made me so into women, He's not saying, God, if, if, if her how, I mean, why, why she got to be taking a bath while I'm up there on the roof, God? Why'd you? He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't even blame Bathsheba. He says, have mercy on me. And then look at verses three and four, right? He says, for I recognize my rebellion. This is my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, talking about God, and you alone have I sinned. No excuses. No excuses. You cannot ask for forgiveness if you don't think it's your fault. You can't, as a fact, you cannot ask for forgiveness for something that you don't believe is your fault. And so we cannot go to God, all of us in the room, we cannot go to God and say, God, I really need you to forgive me. I didn't do anything wrong, but just to make sure I'm in the clear, can you make sure you forgive me? That's not repentance. Repentance starts with eliminating excuses and saying, this is on me. This is my sin. This is my rebellion. I am 100% guilty, and I am appealing to your mercy. Is the way David start, starts this out for us. So number one, if I want to repent, i got to stop making excuses. All right, let's keep reading. Look at verses five and six. David keeps going. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. So number one, if I want to repent, i got to stop making excuses. But number two, got to believe that I am a sinner. i got to believe that I'm a sinner. Now, you notice on your sermon guide that there are question marks at the end of these statements. Uh, we're not actually saying them as questions, but the reason there's question marks there is because I hope that you hear these and you turn them on yourself and you ask yourself. Because it's very easy when you hear me say, stop making excuses. You'd be like, I wish my husband was here to hear this. He's just making excuses. He's just always... I mean, I know some sinners. I mean, they, need, they really need to hear this, right? But, but turn it on yourself. When it comes to my sin, am I making excuses? Here's a question. Do I believe that I am a sinner? Now, this is so huge. I don't have time to like, talk about this as much as I want to talk about it, but it's crucial. David does not say to God, God, listen, I'm a good guy. I just messed up. He doesn't go to God and say, God, I, listen, I, I've built up a lot of goodwill. You remember I killed Goliath, you know? God, you, feel, you say about me that I'm a man after your own heart. Like, I just, I just messed up on this one. That's not what David said. David says, from the day I was in my mother's womb, I've been a sinner. That's interesting because how, you can't really sin inside your mom, you know? Like, it doesn't really work that way. But this lets us know again and reminds us of what we talk about all the time around here, that we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Does that make sense to everybody? 
We are born with a condition. Don't think of sin just as like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's not just breaking the Ten Commandments. Sin is a condition that we have. We are all born with this condition to sabotage our life. I mean, if we've proven anything, humanity, we've proven that we can ruin a good thing. Isn't that true? We can mess it up. And so David comes to God and he says, God, no excuses. This is on me. And the reason I did this is because this is what I do. I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. This is huge. This is huge. Because David was asking God to forgive him and to save him. But you cannot ask to be saved if you don't believe you need to be saved. Did did you hear what I said? You cannot ask to be saved if you don't believe you need to be saved. So if I go to God and I say, God, listen, I'm not, I'm not really a sinner. I mean, I know some sinners, but that's not really me. I've done some sinful things, but I'm not a sinner. Then why do you need Jesus? See, the reason that God sent Jesus was because we could not make ourselves or save ourselves in order to get to God. God so loved the world, he sent Jesus because the condition of our sin separates us from him. So if you don't believe you're a sinner, like at your core being that you were born, because Adam and Eve ate that apple, that if, if you don't believe that your condition is that of a sinful person, then you cannot ask Jesus to make you right with God. You have to believe that you're lost in order to be found. You have to believe that you're separated from God in order to ask to have a relationship with God. And so David says what we have to believe about ourselves. Let me say this about me. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. And let me, let me say it this way. I'm the worst sinner that I know. Now, some of you are like, oh my gosh, what'd you do? <laughs> no, you're not hearing me. I'm the worst sinner that I know. I'm capable of anything. It is only by the grace of God that I am alive. It's only by the grace of God that I'm not, my life is not in complete shambles. The only reason I'm able to stand up here and to say in some form or fashion that I am moderately a decent husband is the grace of God. Or the fact that I'm moderately a decent dad is the grace of God. The fact that I'm not sleeping on a sidewalk somewhere with a needle in my arm is the grace of God. That my legs work to walk up here and that sound comes out of my mouth when I begin to preach is the grace of God. There's not some person out there who is a worse sinner than me. I'm the worst sinner that I know. And I am capable of destroying my life, sabotaging my life. If I were to give into and to let the sinful nature of my life take control, I could be the most despicable, sinful, disgusting person that there is. That's why I need Jesus. And if you don't believe that about yourself, you're not convinced that you need the grace of God. Only Jesus makes us right with God. 
Only the grace of God. And so like in the last 30 seconds, this room has just like deflated, right? Because we feel the weight of that. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I sabotage my life. I mess things up. I ruin things. I am a sinner. But hear me, our response is not, woe is me. Our response is, how great is God? How great is God that he would send Jesus to save someone like me? So I I, I know some sinners. I'm looking at some sinners. But the biggest sinner I know stares back at me in the mirror every morning. And the reason that I come to church and sing songs, pray to God, worship God, have joy in my life is because I know how bad I am. But if I can't admit how bad I am, I cannot receive how good God is. Does that make sense to everybody? So I hope you get that. Don't leave here today being beaten down by your sinful nature. Leave here today rejoicing for the fact that even though your sinful nature is out to destroy your life and separate you from God, he loves you so much he sent Jesus because he said, I ain't going to do it like that. Jesus is going to make you right with me. I I could keep going, but I ain't got time. Let's let's move on. That's the gospel message, y'all. That's salvation. The, the, the gospel message is not don't, you know, say cuss words, drink alcohol, watch bad movies, and be mean to people. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is the more you take control of your life, the more of a disaster it will be. And you cannot save yourself. And so God sent Jesus. Okay, I got to keep going. All right, here we go. All right, okay. Where was that? Okay, number three. Here we go. Uh, verse 12, verse 12, it says, so, so let's just recap. David says, it's on me. Have mercy because this is my fault. And the reason it's my fault is because I'm a sinner. And then he says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Nothing will steal your joy in life like sin, especially secret sin. And make me, he says, make me, if, you got it, if you're able to mark things, I don't know how you're doing this, but just won't you just underline or mark, make me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. The next step in repentance after I eliminate excuses and admit that I am a sinner, the next step in repentance is obedience, is a willingness to obey. I think it's interesting that David said, make me willing to obey, because let's be honest about ourselves, because we're so messed up. It'd be great if we just do the right things because they were the right things to do, wouldn't it? But sometimes we have to be made willing to obey. Jonah wasn't ready to obey. That whale made him willing to obey. Saul didn't really want to obey, but blindness made him Willing to, Moses didn't want to go to Egypt, but that bush made him willing to obey, right? And so there are times in our life where God 
will allow us to experience sorrow. That godly sorrow, he will allow us to experience sorrow so that maybe we would go, I don't want to do this anymore. Whatever it takes, God, I'm willing to obey. And so David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because here's why. Because I am finally at a place, God, where I do not believe that what it is that I am willing to let go of can bring me joy. You bring me joy. I want that joy, that salvation, knowing that I'm right with God. And so, God, I'm willing to obey you. If we say we want forgiveness for our sin, but we're unwilling to do what it takes to separate ourselves from that sin, we don't believe that that sin is wrong or bad. And I recognize that for a lot of us in the room, we're bound by addiction, and there are psychological things and mental things going on, and that, that even in our moments of our right thinking, we can say this is you know, what we want, but then we give into these addictions. I'm not making light of those things, but what I am telling you is that a lack of willingness to leave or change or obey God identifies in us that we don't really believe that joy is found in salvation and not in whatever it is that we're unwilling to walk away from or to, or to do whatever we can to help us be free from that thing. Does that make sense to everybody? So look back on your life in the last three months, six months, three weeks, five years, 10 years, whatever it is. Are you repeating the same sins at the same pace with the same regularity? We are all sinners. We all sin. We all fall. I'm not saying you, but not you, but you. No, no, no. All of us. I'm just saying as you look back on your life, are you repeating the same sins at the same pace with the same regularity? If you are, it just lets you know that you don't believe that you need to be free from that sin. Does that make sense? Okay, here we go. Number four, verse 17 we said we got to stop making excuses. Number two, we got to believe we're a sinner. Number three, we got to be willing to obey. And then the last one, verses 16 and 17, it says, You did not desire a sacrifice. David talking about God. God, you did not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. If we want to repent, number four, we have to stop trying to earn forgiveness. I want you to notice what David said right here. David said, God, I know I screwed this up. And if I could give a big old fat offering to make this right, I'd do it. If I could go, if I could go build a house for a homeless person and that would make it right, I'd do it. If I, if I could, if I could, if I could be in church more and that would make this right, I'd do it. But David says, God, that, that don't make it right. I can't earn forgiveness. There's nothing that I could do in order to make this right with you. But all of us in the room today feel this pressure when we know that our sin has drawn us away from God. We struggle to accept the fact that he would forgive us with no strings attached. We say, okay, God, I know I messed it up, 
and I need you to forgive me, so I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not going to miss church no more. Okay, God, I, I really messed this up, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to volunteer in the kids' ministry. Or whatever it is, there's a million examples we could give, and I don't know what yours are, but that's religion. So many of us in the room are doing things that are good things, but the reason that we're doing them is because we're trying to earn forgiveness. You can't earn forgiveness. Only Jesus can make you right with God. And so maybe the biggest struggle we face is not excuses or believing we're a sinner or, or what was number three? Uh, yeah, be willing to obey. I should have known that. But anyway, maybe the biggest struggle we face is forgiving ourselves. Like God's forgiven us and we're like, I'll make it up to you, I promise. And if God could say something back to you, he'd say, Jesus already made it up to me. Jesus already made it up to me. You're not gonna make it up to me. Jesus made it up to me on the cross. So maybe there's an area of your life that you have spent weeks and months and years trying to make it up to God. Hear me, Jesus already made it up to God for you on the cross, on the cross. Stop trying to earn forgiveness. I, I wasn't planning on reading this, but just, just skip down. If you're in a growth group this week, you're gonna read this together. But, but look down. It's not that any of those things are wrong. God loves a good sacrifice. God loves a good offering. But look at what he says. He says, then you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. That's what he's asking us, 19. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. spirit. God just wants you to have a broken and repentant heart. And here's the thing about a broken and repentant heart. You can't fake a broken and repentant heart. You can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can give us a broken and repentant heart. And in those moments in life when we have that broken and repentant heart, we've got to respond to that and run to God. You can't fake remorse, real remorse, real regret, real godly sorrow. You can't do it. So if you're here today listening to these words that David wrote down and you feel your heart breaking because you believe that your sin has separated you from God and you believe that, that this sin is offensive to God, that God loved Jesus and he hates sin and so he sent Jesus to cover sin. And if you hear that and you go, well, then I want to give it up. I want to get rid of it if it offends God. Respond to that because all he asks of you is a broken and repentant heart and he forgives you and he wants you to forgive yourself and then move on. David and Bathsheba had another son. His name was Solomon. He went on to be the king. The, somehow they were able to forgive themselves or, you know, and, and, and the religious part of us would say, well, they shouldn't have been able to have another kid or they should have separated or you know, whatever. But God said, Jesus made it right. You recognize your sin. You're broken and repentant. I forgive you. Go have another baby. Right? And I really believe that for a lot of you in the room, God wants to do something new in your life, really wants to birth something new in your life. But you got to be willing to move on. Stop making excuses. Admit you're a sinner. Be willing to obey. But when God forgives you, forgive yourself and move on. We want forgiveness from God. We bring repentance to him.
Let's pray.